Caitlin, are you aware that I am so entirely vaccinated at this point that I'm so excited. The possibility of throwing myself at you, not unlike a wild antelope in a zoo <laughs> being fed a hefty dinner of what I think is probably just like raw meat. I'm pretty sure that's all antelopes eat. No idea. Anyway, what I'm saying is I'm going to throw myself <laughs> at you. vegetarian. <laughs> okay, well, that's a disappointment. All right, then I'm going to throw myself at you like a whole bunch of flax seeds or whatever antelope <laughs> are out there eating. No idea. They're like, oh, no, we're not paleo anymore. We're antelope. We're like really into veggies. But I miss you. I miss you. I love you. And they gave me two shots. And when can I hold you in my arms? Oh, thank you for that mixed metaphor of praise. <laughs> <laughs> Just take that back to your therapist. Well, Jessica has a very interesting love language. She likes to talk about herself as it's green fresh based meat. It's green based sometimes. Sometimes it's meat based. Oh, babe. This is where we are. This is what's happening. This is how the podcast starts. Just a nice cold open talking mm-hmm. about a zoo. Um, how are you? What's happening? Oh, man. I love you. I'm good. Uh, It is... I was just about to talk about the weather. (laughs) Listen, hot takes at Special Lady Day. I know. Hot Um, current takes. I'm going to really dig deep and find something different. Um, You've got this. Let's see. No, I'm really good. Speaking... Since we're on Special Lady Day, a special lady in my life, my really good friend Jenny is in town, so I got to see her. Jenny! And that feels really good because mm-hmm. seeing people is so rare. And actually, speaking of special ladies, we had a social distance hangout. And my mom is vaccinated, so I can see my mom now, which is wonderful yes. and magical. And yes. Ugh, all the feelings. Um, so we had a social distance hangout with Jenny, my mom, oh. and me. And that was some special lady magic right there. Oh, my God. So excited for more in-person times. I don't know if I'm ready mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of feelings, but at the same time, because like you're still waiting, right? You haven't, yeah. you haven't, I, you're like waiting for the vaccine to mature. I have to, to yes, like a fine wine in my mm-hmm. veins. Ooh. Like a fine farro grain. I don't this, know. <laughs> this Bordeaux and these grains, really. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We think we're, I think we're funny. Uh, but yes, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. I have a little longer, but your mom is like good. She's good to go. Yeah, she was one of the She's first. Done. Shout out to the seventy plus community. Um, uh, yeah, she was she was first, and so we've seen her twice, and it was really fun. The first time we like we bought these party decorations. Oh my god! And we bought it was like pink streamers, and we we're trying to find like a non birthday party theme decoration mm-hmm. and we settled on like flamingos oh sure so our house was just like, full of flamingo design like uh decorations and it was just great we like it felt festive and she was the first person to ever be a guest in our <sighs> apartment so it was, it was wonderful oh and we amazing. like made food together and it was awesome Aww. and and it was really cute then the next time i realized because we like haven't seen people interact with our house yet at all like what do guests do where do they want to sit and um my mom just she she like went straight to our weighted blanket 
<laughs> the second time, she was like, I've got to get my heavy blanket, and now I'm good. Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. A woman after my own heart. But yeah, it was <sighs> so it's been good. But I've noticed, I'm curious to hear what you think about seeing people. It feels oddly normal, like right. not overly emotional, but just like sinking into right. yourself, like right. your habits. But then I have these moments of like feeling really frustrated and sad that you didn't, that you missed out, that we missed out on like a year of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So those are, those were my two feelings. So I'm curious to hear next, next episode, what you feel. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Cause it, and let the record show that Caitlin Morris and I are both practicing all of the safest procedures according to the CDC, et cetera, Mm -hmm. where, you know, your mom isn't just like, I'm vaccinated. Let's go to the bars. Um, No. Yeah. Not even at all. (laughs) Unless by a bar, we mean a weighted blanket at Caitlin and Preach's <laughs> house, in which case, honey, I am going to be a lush oh, yeah. because it is all weighted blanket all the time for me. Um, but I will be able to see someone safely unmasked, my sister, mm-hmm. in like a week or two, mm-hmm. whatever the date so is. I have, I have a countdown. And I've seen her distanced like twice-ish. Mm-hmm. Because she lives kind of far away. You have to yeah. like take a boat. Yeah, got to take a boat. Um, but I just like, <laughs> I'm so excited and I'm also freaked out. I've already pretty much planned. I was like, so I'm just going to cry for like three days in your arms, which is like a fun house guest to have. <laughs> Nothing says party like someone in her mid-30s weeping. showing up and weeping on you <laughs> when you're in your 20s. Um, but... I, yeah, it's really surreal. When I got, I got my second shot this last week and the woman who gave me the shot, wonderful, did a wonderful job and everything. Um, right as she was about to give it to me, I was like, you're about to make my mom very happy. And she was like, oh, (laughs) I was like, cause now she's going to know that I'm the first kid that got fully vaccinated of the family. So it's like, you know, just very exciting. But I think I'm going to cry a lot, which is a huge shock, because usually I don't ever, ever. cry. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Stone-faced, mm. low hafer. That's what they call me. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't show emotion. She's never using outlandish metaphors to try to explain her love for her <laughs> female friends. Something that I love about hanging out with my friend Jenny and my mom mm. is they're really good at like asking good questions. Oh, God. And Jenny had asked kind of like, are there any silver linings from the, like, what have you learned? Like, not naively, Mm. but like, what have you learned from this time? Yeah. And we all had said how much we really learned to like, not take people and interactions for granted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's like. (laughs) Sorry, my dog was groaning. He's like, he's like, preach, preach, mom. God, what I'd give for another dog right mm-hmm. now. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Coco, baby Coco. Um, No, I think that's exactly right. I also feel slightly less uptight, only slightly, because <laughs> I feel like uptight is potentially my second middle name Um, <laughs> about like planning things. Mm. Interesting. That's something- new for you. Oh, yeah. You're like, that's a Like, hmm, tell me more. 
Tell me more. Uh, more just kind of like, well, I had a bunch of plans before the pandemic. And then there was this pandemic that's still happening. I know it's still happening. It's still happening, people. It's still happening. <sighs> Stay safe. It's still happening. Um, Send that message over Florida. My God, seriously, skywrite it. But uh, when your plans are all like <laughs> unceremonially, unceremonial. What's that word? Like, Un- unceremonially. Unceremoniously. Ceremoniously. I don't know. I might have added an O U S in that did not belong. It's probably fine. What I'm saying is when all of your plans are just like swatted to the ground. Like, like kind of a cat swipe, like porcelain <laughs> off of the shelf. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's sort of what happened in 2020. And so now I'm like, well, do I know what I'm doing in 2021? Not really. Do I know the job I'm working in 2021? Not really. Do I have any idea what's going to happen? No. No, uh, I know what I would like to have happen. I don't know. Maybe it's making me a little bit less like, yeah, clutching of my plans in general. But maybe once things are finally open someday, that'll all go away, and I'll not remember anything <laughs> that I learned. And maybe that no. will be fine too. I, don't I have know. that. I have like. It's interesting you say that. I have like a fear that I feel like I have learned a lot of really important lessons. And I think I have this like secret fear that I'm just expressing now (laughs) that like I will forget them and they'll all go away, which Mm -hmm. is like never really happened before in life. (laughs) But there's like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I have this like, well, what if I just forget everything and it goes back to the way it was, which we don't want it to. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Well, we're just going to have to hold each other accountable. (laughs) Remind each other. Welcome to the Jessica and Caitlin Accountability Podcast. It is... <laughs> I'm sure you want to listen to that. Really intense. It's maybe less exciting than women's history, but we're getting <laughs> to the bottom of them. some things here. <laughs> and it truly is just about us. No. Um, yeah. it's inter- Well, it's interesting. Like, there are very few moments, I think, where we have all... Well, it's weird because, like, people are living in different realities. Like, some people don't believe a pandemic is happening. But, like, discounting that, like... Right. Very rarely have we all gone through such a collective, like, like, we know a change is about to happen. Like, pre-pandemic, we had no idea there was a change, and then suddenly everything changed. Whereas now, like, there's progression forward, slowly. Right. Um, But, like, it's weird. Like, I don't think we've ever had this, like, group. And now everyone's life will be different in a couple of months. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like maybe you have that like in high school, your class, you're all graduating. Right. But it's like the entire world is graduating. The whole world. (laughs) And we don't know what college is going to be like. No, we don't. (laughs) And it seems more than mildly frightening. Yeah. I, I found myself thinking the other day I was driving and I was like, you know, something that I've often struggled with in my life. And now this is going to shock you, Caitlin. So I want you to just hold on. (laughs) Um, Something I've struggled with is uh, hypervigilance. No. I know. I know. You're like, woman, I saw your wedding planning spreadsheets. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think I know about your hypervigilance. And I had this thought the other day when I was driving where I was like, oh, God, is the world going to do that now? Oh, no, they should not be like me. And I got, like, very <laughs> concerned. I was like, it's this so is not a good trait. Like, 
don't do it, everybody. Mm-hmm. You gotta be more chill than low hafer. I have zero chill. I have no chill. So I just, yeah, that <laughs> that was an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. Um, but do you know what else is interesting to consider, Caitlin Seymour? What else is really interesting to consider? I feel a transition coming. Can you sense it? Because sense my it. These... You usually say my full name when we're changing subjects. It's, and these dulcet tones coming from my mouth. <laughs> I know. A word that I've started using without really knowing what it means. Um, another thing that is interesting, <laughs> just A plus transition, is a little podcast that we're doing right now. Oh, and it is called Special Lady Day Podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about some... Ladies. Do you need to breathe? Maybe. I just get so excited when I see you. I, I think know, you too. It. Don't make me talk about the gazelle again. No <laughs> one wants that. <laughs> oh. Um okay. I'm excited for this episode. I'm very excited mm-hmm. for this episode. I uh Let's just I'm say a- that you are constantly worried about not researching enough. Mm-hmm. And this entire week, you were like, I just have to do more research and work on the script. And I was like, when do I tell her I haven't started? <laughs> <laughs> Never. Never. And then like not yesterday, once. you were like, I just need like 20 more minutes. And I was like, Jessica, I have not started. <laughs> and you were like, that's okay. I'm tired. Let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Well, for what it's worth, when you were texting me like 20 minutes before we... FaceTime yeah. each other and you were like I'm just setting up and I was like me too I was finishing writing my script so like it isn't all gone procrastinator <laughs> in me don't worry don't worry um no I'm excited I'm very excited to mm-hmm. see uh to see who your lady is this week in me particular too. but um but let's kick things off for real yeah because that's important um Will you tell our beautiful listeners how we start this yeah. shindig? So we start Special Lady Day with a segment called Act One, where uh, kind of the thought process behind it is before we start learning about the past, we think about ways that we can take an action, act, get it, oh my God, uh, to make a better future. And that's what we're all about. I love it. Thank Kick you. Kick it off. Oh. Kicked it. Um, so... This week, this month, uh, we've obviously been thinking a whole lot about the horrendous shooting in Atlanta, mm-hmm. where eight people were killed, six of whom were Asian American women, and there's been quite a spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans during the pandemic, mm-hmm. not surprisingly in part connected to the highly racist rhetoric of our past president and how he spoke about the coronavirus. So we've been thinking a lot about this and we wanted to point you towards an organization that is working to stop these hate crimes. Um, So let me tell you about them. Mm -hmm. They are called Stop AAPI Hate. Their website, which we of course will link to all of this, is Stop aapihate.org. And this is a little bit from their bio that I wanted to read. In response to the alarming escalation in xenophobia and bigotry resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, the Asian Pacific Planning and Policy Council 
Chinese for Affirmative Action, and the Asian American Studies Department of San Francisco State University launched the Stop AAPI Hate Reporting Center on March 19, 2020. The center tracks and responds to incidents of hate, violence, harassment, discrimination, shunning, and child bullying against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. So they have a way for you to report hate crimes. Additionally, you can donate directly to them. They did say that they have a high volume of requests right now, and they thank us for being patient. Totally makes sense. But they're doing really important work. And another, just another blurb from the front page of their website um, says, our communities stand united against racism. Hate against Asian American Pacific Islander communities has risen during the COVID-19 pandemic. Together, we can stop it. Another uh, feature on their front page is that you can report your hate incident in several languages. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. it looks like. So you can go there for news about what's happening, educate yourself. You can go there to report. Um, you can go there to donate and highly recommend everybody checking it out. We're going to put it in the show notes. It's a devastating and very sadly consistent part of American history, mm-hmm. this history of racism against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And we need to step up and do whatever we can to help. So this is just a tiny step that we're trying to put out for people to access and check out on their own. Um, if other resources, other ideas that people have, if you want to send them to us, we're always happy to help promote those on our social media. Mm-hmm. You can always get a hold of us through our website. But yeah, but this is heartbreaking and it just has to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything intelligent to say other than that. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Can I mention two Please. two things that I actually um, love you got a chance to learn about because uh, there are some amazing um, AAPI colleagues of mine who run like workshops uh, mm-hmm. for us on like Asian American studies and just like what Asian students are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And they like just a couple of weeks ago gave a really good talk about the um, – the model minority myth, but also the perpetual foreigner myth. And that one was new to me. Mm-hmm. And so maybe just like suggesting if you can't like donate or anything like that, just go look those up and kind of like learn ways that you can counteract that. Or if you see that happening, mm-hmm. stepping in. I bet we of... can link to some stuff about that too. Yeah. That's yeah, a good yeah, idea. yeah. That was really eye-opening and I had to like rethink and be like, wow, is my like naive curiosity when I talk to people, (laughs) you know, um, taking part in the perpetual foreigner thing where it's like, tell me about like where you're from. And they're like, I'm from San Diego. Right. (laughs) That kind of thing. And I was like, oh, um, I'm a part of that. So anyways, uh, that was really helpful to learn about. So Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would love to learn more about that. Um, Mm -hmm. So we will find some some good links to help educate our listeners if, mm-hmm. and educate ourselves. That's mm-hmm. what we're always here to do. Mm-hmm. That will never stop, I hope. And if it does stop because we think we've figured everything out, then you should stop listening to the podcast, yeah. just for the record. <laughs> if, we, if we have a day where we're like, so, solved now it. we know everything. 
Yeah. And we're no. here to tell you about it. I feel like that's always a good sign to become very suspicious of someone. That's right. That's right. That and if I, I don't know, start a semi-precious gems facial care line, that's when we should all be very alarmed. Um, I would would buy the whole entire line. I know you would. And that's the problem is because you support me. (laughs) You support me so much, you beautiful angel. Okay. Well, I think I'm... You're up first. I'm up first. I'm ready for story time. Oh, wait. Can I do one shout? I know we do shout outs at the end, but I have a shout out for the end. Can I do one unrelated shout out just very quickly? Sandwich your shout outs. Sandwiching the shout outs. Um, I want to give a shout out to beloved special lady listener Ron. Um, mm-hmm. Sent me our first special lady day mail. That's, okay. ama- that's amazing. Because we don't even tell people where to send things. No. There's not even a place. This, There's I not only, a P.O. box. I know, Ron. That's the only reason. <laughs> um, he listened to our episode where uh, I covered Josephine Baker and sent me a little message that was like, check it out. I went to the one-woman show, um, a burlesque cabaret about Josephine Baker, and I was like, stop right there. Didn't know it existed. Very excited. Okay, continue. I did that all in my mind. You know, I, not while he was messaging me. But um, And he asked if he could send me a little souvenir. And okay, I'm going to hold this up. We'll put a picture of this up. But oh, I want you to see it's it. It's so, so beautiful. It's part of the bill, the program from oh the uh, show. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. And I love getting mail. I was so happy. Oh. So now it's in the special Lady Day Lohafer loft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say that three times fast. And... And it's just, it's just so thoughtful. So thank you, Ron. You're the best. Thanks for your support. Yeah. We love you. And it's like, you know, in its own way, Caitlin, Mm -hmm. that was a sneaky segue because I got some news for you. Tell me. Well, the special lady I'm covering today Mm -hmm. knew Josephine Baker. What? Hobnobbed. Potentially with Josephine Baker. What did they like? What is it? Rub, sh- rub. Do you rub shoulders or brush shoulders? Rub elbows? No, they ran in the same scene. That's how okay. we'll say it. They ran okay. in the same scene, and I okay. typically try to jump around a little bit. I try not to do the same era, um, mm. two episodes in a row. But when I discovered the special lady, I was like, "Oh, there's just no way I'm not gonna do this." Like mm-hmm. she's uh, so fascinating. So. We're taking a little trip. Ooh, I'm ready. Packing my bag. Pack that bag. <clears throat> Get that ticket because here comes the train. Nope. I don't know why I want it to be a metaphor so badly. Get off the train, <laughs> Caitlin. There's no train. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is I'm very excited to introduce to you Ms. Anna May Wong international starlet and the first Chinese American film star in Hollywood. What? Because that's the song she deserves. No, God. Oh, <laughs> like little <laughs> singing from Jessica Loewe. I have some fabulous sources that I have okay. to shout out. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first that I drew heavily from was the movie, the film, Anime Wong in Her Own Words, which was produced, directed, written, and edited by Yunnan Hong and stars Don Lee. And it is 
spectacular. You can, we'll link to it. You can mm-hmm. rent it on Vimeo. That's how I watched it. Um, it's this really beautiful movie where they have uh, found these quotes, these journals and diaries from Anime Wong. And the movie oscillates between Don Lee, this incredible, incredible actor, as the persona of Anime mm-hmm. Wong delivering these monologues mm-hmm. that are direct quotes. And mm-hmm. then they go back and forth interviewing people who really knew her in real life and like adding some history it's this Mm. very i've never seen a documentary made this way it was really cool awesome um and it's i borrowed heavily from it so anytime that i say this is a direct quote from anime wong i am getting it from this film okay i just want to be clear yes it's from anime wong but i via these artists via these artists and other information I obviously gathered from this, which I will cite as well. I also went to, <laughs> which let's just put it on our calendars that Jessica's making a donation to the National Women's History Museum for all of the help they've <laughs> given me because I have two articles from them. The first is by Carrie Lee Alexander, and it was an article called Anime Wong, published on uh, March, uh, published in 2019. And then the other from the same site was called Celebrating Asian American Women. Um, no listed author. And then finally, this is like a little sneak peek, but I just mm-hmm. like to say all my sources out the gate. I had to get a little bit of information about a novel called The Good Earth, um, and I got it from Wikipedia. So thank mm, you, Wikipedia, okay. for filling me in. So here we go. I'm ready. Let's grab our LaCroix. Get on that train. Get on that train, <laughs> plane and or automobile, <laughs> mm-hmm. because we are going to 1905. Okay. On January 3rd, 1905, Anime Wong was born in the Chinatown area of Los Angeles. She was the second of eight children. Okay. Here is a quote from her mm-hmm. from about the beginning of her life. Mm-hmm. My life began on Flower Street, Los Angeles, 1905. My father named me Leo Shong. It means frosted yellow willow. He wanted me to be a tall, graceful, golden. Beneath the beautiful poetry lay his keen disappointment. He'd wished for a son after my older sister was born. So to please him, my mother placed a Chinese boy's cap on my head and dressed me in the robes of a prince. Hmm. So poetic, like right out the gate. I'm like, mm. man, would that my journals sounded like this <laughs> when people read them out loud? They do not. Um, eventually, her family went on to give her the English name Anna May. Hmm. But more on that later. Her family owned a laundromat on North Figaro Street in L.A. And she grew up, her and her family grew up in like a relatively diverse neighborhood. And they went to California Street Elementary School. Sadly and unfortunately, unsurprisingly, though, her and her older sister were brutally, mercilessly bullied and teased Mm. because of their race. Mm. Her parents decided then later to enroll them in the Chinese mission school in Chinatown. And this was a much more welcoming Mm. environment. As a kid, she spent a lot of her time working at the laundromat and also taking Chinese language classes after school. But in the 1910s, Mm. if there was a way to, like, 
put a little Hollywood, old timey Hollywood music. music out of this. Producer Chad, see what you can do. In the 1910s, film production started to happen in California mm. rather than New York. Mm-hmm. And little Miss Anna Mae Wong started to sneak off to go visit movie sets. And by Ooh. the age of nine, she knew she wanted to be a movie star. So here's a quote from her about one of her first experiences. My first opportunity to work in a picture came when I was 13. James Wong, a friend of my father's who worked in the motion pictures, took me up to Metro Studios and introduced me to the assistant director. You can imagine how thrilled I was when he accepted me to actually be working with Ala Nazimova. It exceeded all my wildest hopes. The studio was an enchanted fairyland to me. Ooh. I love, I just, I, I just love hearing her talk about it. And even though I was only an extra, I felt sure that I'd see my name in the electric lights. I didn't dare tell my parents I was working for the motion picture studios, so I'd write notes to my teachers excusing myself from <laughs> classes because of illness. I love that. Woman after my own heart. Yeah. Um, so I just like see, I could just see this picture of her, you know, she's a tiny little kid and she's like, oh, there's a movie getting produced in town. I got to get down there. Mm-hmm. And every other things that I read implied that she would kind of like push her way to the front of the crowd and oh be God. like she's like 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 young perching you know like i'm here like put me in man like take me in coach i'm ready to go like mm-hmm. i want to be in that movie i know i want to be in that movie how do i get in there right and so she got this first opportunity when she's 13 but we're gonna go forward a little bit so now we're gonna flash forward to it's the end of her second year of high school okay so she's still like oh movies I gotta be in the movies and she got this little gig you know and it's all very exciting but at the end of her second year of high school she goes to a girls camp during Mm -hmm. the summer and she ends up coming down with something I'd never heard of before so forgive me if I mispronounce it but she comes down with an illness called um Sedenham's Korea Mm -hmm. um which is also known as St. Vitus's Dance And it's characterized um, by rapid, irregular, and aimless involuntary movements of arms and legs, your trunk, and facial muscles. And it Mm. is excruciating, excruciatingly painful. Wow. So she spends weeks in bed just in agony. Um, She's hopeless. She's like, I'm never going to work in movies again. Uh, In the documentary there was a discussion. She talked about the treatment that they did that seemed to cure Mm. her, which was just horrific sounding and involved, I believe, a piece of gold being scraped aggressively across all of her skin until she bled. I don't know if that's what cured her, but she ends up making a turnaround. She gets better. Um, And at this point, you know, it's 1921, she's fully recovered, she's missed months and months of school, and she's like, you know what, I'm not going back to Los Angeles High School. Hmm. I'm going to be an actor. Like, I'm fully committing myself, and in fact, I'm giving myself a new name. Yes, Hmm. they've referred to me as anime, but now I'm Anime Wong. Okay? So she's like, I'm going out into the world, and, and this is, I'm fully committing. I'm all the way in. The same year that she makes this personal commitment, she gets cast in the movie Bits of Life, 
um, as Toiling's wife. So this is exciting. But Mm -hmm. even more exciting was that in 1922, she lands her first leading role. That's like, isn't that like a year after she was like, I'm going to join Hollywood. (laughs) That's Uh amazing. I know. (laughs) I'm like, can you imagine? This is the determination of her, right? Like, she's Mm like, I'm in. So she gets her first leading role, and the movie is called uh, Toll of the Sea. It's a a silent version of the film Madame Butterfly, but it Mm. is also one of the first Technicolor movies. So here's a little interesting career note that I would like to throw in Mm -hmm. right now. Throughout her entire career, (laughs) I think this is so cool, Anna Mae Wong worked in silent movies, Mm -hmm. black and white movies, talking movies, and Technicolor movies. So she kind of saw this like whole array of the evolution of film production. Wow. And as we'll see, she effortlessly evolved into all of those phases. Well, and I remember from Mm -hmm. Francis Marion how, like, didn't a lot of people, once they moved from, like, silent to talking films, like, lost their jobs because they couldn't make the transition? Yeah, and not because, you know, they talk about this in Dr. Marion, it was, like, not necessarily because they might have had, like, weird voices, like, weird or high-pitched voices. It's just totally a different style of performing. It's difficult. To make that, yeah, exactly. It's very difficult to make that transition. She made all of these transitions. Wow, like, that's awesome. And, and I just think it's, I, I think it's really amazing to imagine seeing, like, this entire evolution of an industry mm-hmm. within your career. Mm-hmm. Like, to get to be a part of all of these phases. That's really would, cool. Would be really, really fascinating. So, at the same time. She keeps living at home with her family, mm-hmm. even though she's making decent money, because she's freaking smart, right? She's like, yeah, I'm making great money, and I'm saving it. I live at home. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's <laughs> the like, problem? Yeah, if you live close to the studio, like, why? Why am I living somewhere else, right? And yeah. she's also unmarried. So yeah. she had a quote about being unmarried I'm going to share with you about why, because uh, she she never married her whole mm-hmm. life. So here's a little bit of uh, a look into why perhaps this occurred. She said, I am independent and Chinese men don't like that. My mother and father wanted me to stay home and marry a nice Chinese boy, but I haven't yet found the Chinese man who I would marry. Many possible suitors seem afraid of me because I seem too modern. Because of my role as a public figure, I must be very careful with whom I go about. Mm -hmm. So this is another big part of her personality is that she was unabashedly herself Mm-hmm. she's very That's modern great. she's like i'm out here i've got high standards and i don't want to go down this traditional role like this mm-hmm. traditional path that is kind of expected of me from my family perhaps from her background her culture like that's not me that's not mm-hmm. what i'm gonna do which is really difficult that's a very difficult line to walk for her right mm-hmm. but let's go back to her films so She's got that big leading lady debut in 1922. <clears throat> she goes on to make, this is so wild, 23 films over the next six years. Whoa, that is so many movies. So many movies. So yeah. fast. I was like trying to think, I'm like, does anyone do that now? Like, I know obviously film production is very different. There's different kinds of movies being made. But I was like, I'm trying to think of an actor that's doing like four movies a year. Basically, Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of anyone. But sadly, 
also a theme of this story. Like, amazing. She's doing all of this work. This is incredible. She's a boss. She's making it happen. Oh, and also America is a cesspool of racism and discrimination against Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. These things Mm -hmm. are always coinciding. So even with all of this, even with all of the work, even with like notoriety she's getting, she keeps trying out for lead roles and she can't get them. And the reason she can't get them is because of the, this is the first time I've said this word, so here we go, the anti-miscegenation laws. Miscegenation. Miscegen- <laughs> Can you say it again? <laughs> Miscegenation. Miscegenation. Yeah. <clears throat> Never heard it out loud before. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'd get that. I- no, somebody asked me, like, well, how do you pronounce whatever word it was? And I was like, I don't know. I always say it in my head. Mm. They're just words that are like that. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm yeah. not. Yeah. No, when I saw that one, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. But these laws in the U.S. prevented interracial marriages or even interracial actors to kiss on screen oh wow i didn't know that it extended to like the film industry wow the motion picture industry went on to create their own set of rules which was even more aggressive Mm -hmm. but more on that later because of these rules in her entire career she never kissed a hollywood actor on screen whoa not once And even abroad, we're going to learn about when she goes abroad. Hello, Mm -hmm. Josephine Baker. Even in a movie where she actually kissed a white male leading Mm -hmm. actor, they ended up cutting it. Oh, my God. And just not showing it. So, like, it's, yeah, it's everywhere. So, in response to these racist practices, she decides to create Anime Wong Productions. She's like, I want to make my own movies. I want to make my own movies about my own culture. But sadly, it ends up folding because she finds mm-hmm. out that her business partner is engaged in some bad practices. Oh, no. And it just it just folds. Okay. So she finds herself in this situation that is not unlike what we f- our friend Josephine Baker found herself mm-hmm. in. Interesting. Where she's like, I can't do this in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They're racist and awful. What if I went to Europe? Like, maybe there's roles for me abroad. So she's like, okay, here I go. And she is, unsurprisingly, a smash. Mm -hmm. And she's huge in Germany and England in -hmm. particular. Okay. She goes on to do films and stage shows. She stars in Piccadilly, uh, (laughs) Schmutzky's Geld, which is all of our German listeners are like, nope, that wasn't the way to do it. Um, And she also lands her first talking film, which was Mm. Flame of Love in 1930. So this was so interesting to me. This was a really difficult film to make because they had to film it in three different languages. Whoa, okay. Because they're not, like, overdubbing. They're not, you know, (laughs) like... Oh, wow. So they, like, shot it three times. Yeah. To my knowledge, in German, French, and it was described as British. (laughs) I was like, English? And then I was like, maybe the British don't want to call it English. Um, The other thing she did that is incredible is she ends up learning how to speak German and French just specifically for her work. So now she's fluent in three languages and potentially more. She transitions very well into speaking roles. It goes really well for her. So unlike what we just talked about, Mm -hmm. it's like, no problem. I'm in. I got it. And she really loved it over there. This is what she said about working abroad. She said, in Europe, 
I found absolutely no race prejudice. That's one of the reasons I was so happy there. There, everyone was lovely to me. And that wasn't always true in America. Mm. So she had a very positive experience. Obviously, we're not saying there was no racism or prejudice in Europe. Of course Mm. there was. But it was a much more hospitable environment for her. So jump ahead to later in the 1930s. And Paramount Studios is like, hey, please come back. Like, come back to America. We're going to give you leading lady roles. Like, you just got to come back. It's going to be great. And she's like, eh, all right. So she comes back to the States. In 1930, she starts to star in the Broadway production of On the Spot. Tragically, in November of that year, her mother is killed when she's hit by a car in Mm. front of their family's home. Oh, that's so sad. Which is awful. There was a little conversation in the documentary about how she found herself in this really difficult position where she's like, of course, I want to go home for my mother's funeral. Also, I'm in a Broadway show mm-hmm. and I'm not allowed to leave because mm-hmm. if I leave, the production's over. What? And so she ends up not going back for the funeral. Oh, this infuriates her father. She ends up having like her own private funeral, I think, six months later for her mom. But it's just really difficult the family stays in the family home until about 1934, and then the rest of her family moves back to China. Okay. Hmm. So now they've kind of split. She does go back over there and visits them for a year. It's a really moving part of the documentary where you see her, like, seeing her dad for the first time in a long time. And yeah. all of this, like, wonderful reunion, right? Mm-hmm. But she's now she's still in the States, and she's still working on American films, but they're not improving. Right. And she's continually being asked to play these stereotypical Asian roles. Hmm. And from one of from the uh, Women's History Museum article, there is this quote that said, when the director of the film Dangerous to Know asked her to use Japanese mannerisms when playing a Chinese character, she refused. Hmm. She's like at a breaking point. She's like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. Yeah. Like, for Christ's sake, come on. And so here's a quote from her. She says, I got so weary of the parts I had to play. Why is it that the screen Chinese is nearly always a villain and so cruel a villain, treacherous, murderous, a snake in the grass? Why must we always rob, scheme, kill? We are not all like that. You see, how could we be with a civilization so many times older than the West? We have our rigid codes of behavior, of honor. Why is that never on screen? and I she's just in this really tricky spot where she's like I don't want to accept any more of these awful racist stereotypical roles Mm -hmm. I also need to work what you know what do I do here right and Mm -hmm. so she ends up accepting another kind of stereotypical role in the film Daughter of the Dragon, specifically because she was quote promised that she would be able to appear in a Josef von Sternberg film Hmm. So it was like, huh, will you do this? And then you can mm-hmm. be with this really amazing director. Like, come on over here. Hmm. And it does lead to one of her most famous films, The Shanghai Express, which she stars in with, I don't know, just like a little unknown actress named Marlene Dietrich. Whoa. <laughs> I got to watch a little clip of it. Mm-hmm. And obviously Marlene Dietrich is a force of nature. But watching Anna Mae Wong play across from her, I was like, oh, I feel like she's in charge of the scene mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. wow, you have presence. Like, you are right in there. Mm-hmm. And you're working with, like, a 
a well-known actress, known to be a bit of a diva, no Mm -hmm. shame. And, like, Mm -hmm. you're holding your own Mm -hmm. completely, right? Huge success. And then she ends up touring China for a year after this, right? And this is – she has a reunion. But now this interesting thing happens right around this time. This is 1932. I know we're jumping around a little bit. This novel, The Good Earth – wins a Pulitzer. This is really important for her in her career. And she knows that right away. So let me tell you a little bit, just a tiny bit, thank you, Wikipedia, of what this novel is about. Mm-hmm. It's a historical fiction novel by the American author Pearl S. Buck. It's published in 1931. It dramatizes family life in a Chinese village in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. It was the first book of a trilogy. So she very astutely realizes, like, this is getting made into a movie Mm-hmm. And this is the opportunity of my life. Like, mm-hmm. this is, like, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. It's going to be a huge movie. It's going to be a huge production. It's all about this, like, family in a Chinese village. Like, this is made for me. Like, I am made for the leading role of this wow. film. So I'm not going to sit around and, like, hope it happens. I'm going to start campaigning for myself to get the part. Wow. But I'm going to be really subtle and, like, really <laughs> smooth, but I'm just going to start planting it. Like, you know it's me. There's no bigger star than me right now that mm-hmm. could do this. Like, come on. Like, give me the role. <sighs> Unfortunately. Oh, no. Because America is a garbage fire at times. She was now interacting with the force of something called the Motion Picture Production Code that Mm. the Hollywood Studios financed in 1934. It is a whole list of really messed up regulations based on all sorts of racism, bigotry, and prejudice. And one of the things it says in there very specifically is that you cannot show any interracial relationships slash romances on screen. You're not allowed. So you already weren't allowed, but like now you're really not allowed. Wow. And so she's this, obviously she's aware of this, no shit. Mm-hmm. And then this actor, Paul Muni, gets cast as the male lead. And as soon as he gets cast, he's a white guy. She's like, oh, now I cannot get cast. And is he playing an Asian lead? Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I forget wow. the name of the actress who ends up getting the female lead, but it's all yellow face. It's, oh it's all of the tropes. Like, that's that's how they're doing it. Yeah. And she's furious. Right? Yeah. No shit. So there's this quote where she says, I got a call from MGM, but it wasn't what I hoped for. I told them, I'd be glad to test, but I won't take the part of Lotus the Concubine. If you'd let me play Olan, I'd be very glad, but you're asking me, with Chinese blood, to play the only unsympathetic character in a picture featuring an all-American cast playing Chinese characters? After so many experiences of roles that don't appeal to me, I've come to a point where I find it pretty futile to repeat poor things. I feel that I have earned the right to have a little choice in the parts I play. Yeah. So she's furious. Yeah. I mean, like, she's the obvious pick. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I'm not doing the other role. Screw yeah. you guys. Like, I, how many times have you made me inhabit these tropes of the mm-hmm. dragon lady, of the, like, or of being, like, very demure? All of these stereotypes, like, this mm-hmm. is bullshit. I'm not doing it anymore, right? For the same kind of reason, 
she does she does some other films and two in particular are very important to her uh the daughter of shanghai and king of chinatown and the reason these are such important films to her is because the characters she played were actually chinese american oh, like wow. that was how they were yeah. written and so she was like yes here we go but she goes and goes and goes by the end of world war ii she's mostly retired she had appeared at that point in over 60 films wow several stage shows, and cabaret acts throughout Europe, the United States, and Mm -hmm. Australia. She comes back to the United States again in the 50s. Hmm. And this is a huge thing. She becomes the first Asian American to lead a U.S. television show. Whoa. Yeah. I know. Um, And it was called The Gallery of Madame Madame Leo Shan. And she was also planning to return to the U.S. film scene. And it's like this very exciting time. But then tragedy strikes abruptly. Hmm. She did struggle with alcohol use throughout her life. Mm -hmm. The cause of her death, she dies at 56. Oh, wow. And the cause of her death I've seen listed as liver disease. Hmm. I've seen it listed as a heart attack. It's my understanding it's definitely related to alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. She goes on to have um, annual awards named after her by the Asian American Arts Awards and the Asian Fashion Designers Group. She goes on to inspire countless Asian American actors and actresses, <clears throat> many of whom are featured in the documentary and talk about mm-hmm. like what she really did, you know, for them. But also she's loved by countless fans because of her incredible ability she is so vibrant on screen Mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments when someone was being interviewed talking about her it was it was someone that worked crew that he he worked he was a camera guy early on Mm -hmm. and he has this picture of all of them in the crew and the cast right and i'm pretty sure she wasn't a huge part but she's right in the center of the picture Mm -hmm. and he's like look at her do you see how she stands out Hmm. Do you see her presence? Hmm. Like she is the focus of this of this picture in this whole group of wow. people. Like it's her. Mm-hmm. She was this this force to be reckoned with, and we lost mm-hmm. her way too soon. But that is the truncated, not entire, <laughs> <laughs> obviously much longer stories e- exist about the incredibly talented and ruthlessly independent Anna Mae Wong. And God damn, I am glad to have learned about her. So. Thank you. That is her story. It's, it feels weird to abruptly end it like that, but But it's also like, that's what happened. She just, I'm 56, so young. Yeah. So young. But that is her story. Wow. I want to go on a YouTube spiral and watch some clips of her movies. Me too. Oh, man. We should, okay, special Lady Day post-pandemic date, you and I, mm-hmm. <laughs> anime Wong movies, so many great. snacks, get all of the animals around us, snug up under our weighted blankets, I'll bring my own from home. It's fine. <laughs> and we will just sit there and learn about her. But it sounds great. Yeah. 
She was just incredible. Mm -hmm. And to imagine her in Europe, I kept looking. I was like, show me a picture of her with Josephine Baker. Mm -hmm. I'm like, come on. There's got to be some a, an article, a thing. They were, And I couldn't find anything. I was like, that would be the piece de la resistance. That would be cool. Uh, but no, I couldn't find it. But I do know that they met. I knew that they met and they oh, ran in the so same cool. circles. And I'm like, what must they have said to each other? I like, know. both dealing with like the same racist shit in different ways in the same country mm -hmm. and having these illustrious careers mm -hmm. outside of that, but still encountering it wherever they went. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, so that's her. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for letting me learn about her. Thank you for your story, Jessica. Oh yeah. I learned so much it just confirms so much that is going on now, setting mm -hmm. the patterns that we see. Um, so your story and my story have some connections. Well, just well, little connections. Well. So first of all, time-wise, we're about like a generation apart. Oh my God, that's my so good story for us. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. My story also starts in Los Angeles. And um, I think that means that I am now deeply committed to going way back in time for our next episode. I know. We're going all the way back. Special like, Lady Day Eve. Let's talk. Just yeah, like, me. let's talk Lady Dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. Second podcast, Lady Dinosaurs with Jessica and Caitlin. I know. Who <sighs> will back it? Okay. I, know, I love it. Okay. So I'm going to set the scene kind of before uh, before I do my sources, just mm. to kind of start. So I'm just going to, like, give you – we'll start with, like, a little scenario, like a Madden scenario. So, you know, like, when you're a kid, you grow up and you, like, know that your parents are your parents, but you don't really think about, like, what they do for their mm -hmm. jobs. You're like, your job is me and my happiness and comfort. Naturally, sure. Anything else is just, like – Ugh, that's just fluff, right? Sure. So, Our you, yeah. Parents. So, uh, that's what happened to Flip and Christine Cuddy. Uh, you know, they were growing up. They were like, I think my mom works for, like, the government, I guess. I don't know. But then, uh, in 2002, the historian John Cha wrote a biography about their mother. And that is when they learned that, according to Flip, my mother was basically a trained killer. Oh my god. What? I know. Oh, holy moly. <laughs> yeah. That was not what I anticipated. No. Um, but they also learned that their mom was basically this like glass ceiling breaking racism fighting American war hero hero slash code breaker. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me get my LaCroix. Let me just lean way back. I'm right? ready. Let's okay. do this. So to give you some more details, they basically learned that their mother was the first U.S. woman gunnery officer and the first Asian-American woman in the Navy, which was an unlikely leadership role for her time. And her job was to teach air combat tactics to white men. Stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that last quote is from uh, an author named um, 
Oh, sorry, let me find it. Uh, Mia Warren from NPR. Okay. Uh, yeah, so let's. This is the story of Susan on Cuddy, and um, let me go through my sources. Also, some crazy connections. Uh, one of my main sources was was an author named Erin Blakemore, and if you remember her, she wrote the Smithsonian article for Mary Fields. So I, like, found her, and I was, like, following you on Twitter. I don't even tweet, but I'm, like, who are you? And she writes – she's, like, this really amazing journalist. She writes for Time and the Smithsonian, and she does this whole series on women in history for Time. So I was, like, if I need an idea, I'm going to her article. So she's – Got to. Shout out to Erin Blakemore. I'm your fan. Oh, yeah. Maybe we're an Erin Blakemore article podcast now. Um, It's a matter of time. But also a Medium article, like, a – like – there's a section of Medium called Imagine Bay Area, and there's an article by Rena Kim Eubanks, Sung Kim, uh, in the lo- uh, in a blog article from the Los Angeles Public Library, uh, an article for Korean Quarterly from Martha Vickery, and then um, uh, a NPR StoryCorps episode. Uh, wow. written about by Emma Bowman and Mia Warren, and so flipping Christine Cuddy. Uh, Susan on Cuddy's children do a story core talking about her and remembering oh, her. Cool. Yeah, so, which is really cool. So it's kind of fun because we have like her story, but then we also have, I've kind of tried to weave throughout her kids' perspective a little bit on like what it was like to have yeah. such a badass mom. So something I love about Susan on Cuddy, kind of like how you were talking about, I was actually thinking about how you're talking about like the presence of. Anna Mae Wong and mm-hmm. I think that's what really there's like this presence and I want to call it I was trying to like find an ex- like a word and I feel like feisty is not quite like <laughs> the right that's almost like too cute yeah but this should this person is like a um I was drawn to this story because of like her story's kind of like energy and like to give you an example like the only picture I really found of like her and her husband was a picture of them sparring. Okay. Like, with their fists up. Like, Amazing. smiling. Like, joyfully smiling. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. having fun and playing around. And I'm like, that's kind of the vibe of her. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Cuddy was born in Los Angeles in 1915. So, like, a generation kind of after Anna Mae Wong. Um, and she comes from this, like, her family is so interesting. Like, we could do a whole episode on her brother. Um, if this was special brother day, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, like her whole family is so interesting. So we're going to start with her parents. Actually, her father is Dosan An Chang Ho and her mother is Helen An. And they were the first married Korean couple to immigrate to the U S after the U S opened the country to Korean immigration. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So like family, family of like kind of trailblazers, mm-hmm. action takers, just interesting stuff. So they moved to San Francisco in 1902. Her parents were activists for Korean independence. And I'm just going to give you some um, historical context. And this is just a direct quote from Erin Blakemore because I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, she says, during its occupation of Korea, and she's talking about Japan, um, which lasted until the end of World War II. Japan brutally punished dissenters, suppressed free speech, 
pressured Koreans to change their family names to Japanese ones, and even forced Korean women to work as sex slaves or as comfort women for the Japanese military. So her family was really active kind of against the Japanese occupation of Korea. And that was kind of their their life's work. They moved to Los Angeles, and that's where uh, that's where Susan was born. And so their home family home in Los Angeles became a haven for newly arrived Korean immigrants and also like exiled Korean patriots who fought against the Japanese occupation. So it kind of becomes this like community hub for people who have just come in, kind of um, starting there. And so. Uh, Cuddy's father, An Chang Ho, was a very influential leader, kind of as we as we spoke about, he was outspoken against the colonization. And just for some context too, the Japanese occupation started in 1910. So when Susan was a child, she was really used to her father sometimes like getting arrested for his political views and things like that. She comes from like a really activist family. She grew up watching her parents actively organize the community as well. And, like, they're constantly in, in communication with the local Korean community and the community in Korea. So, like, she's just seeing all this community work. Yeah. All of this advocacy. All of this bravery. Because, like, the work that her parents were doing in Korea was really dangerous. So this really, like, influences. This sets, like, her worldview, who she mm-hmm. is, the trajectory of her life. Mm-hmm. So she kind of... This is just, like, some kind of fun anecdotes. But, like, she really seemed like... She took that leadership, especially from her father, and she just kind of applied that to her her whole life. And so even when she was um, a high school student, she seemed really unconcerned with, like, breaking barriers for women, breaking barriers for Asian women. And I say unconcerned, like, not saying that it wasn't hard, but she was just, right. like, up for the challenge, I guess. Yeah. So she was the um, – she played – and she was also really active and athletic. She played basketball, field hockey, and baseball. She Whoa. was the head of the women's baseball team at L.A. City College, which made her the first Asian-American woman baseball player at L.A. City College. And BD. <laughs> um, she also played professional women's baseball for Bing Crosby's Coronets. What? Or Croonets, I think. I yeah, so croon- many questions. Croonerets. Croonerets. Um, I, that was a word that I read but hadn't said out loud. Yeah, sure. so she's like, no big deal. I play professional baseball. <laughs> for Bing Crosby? Yeah. yeah, for his, like, women's baseball team, I guess. I don't know. Um, she also played semi-professional women's hockey. And I feel like women... I feel like hockey, in particular, is a game that is not for the faint of heart. No. Yeah. And this is also a good time to just kind of mention that she is five foot one. So okay. she's a basket. Well, I guess basketball, like, you can be a point guard, and that's really, like, an asset to be short. But she is, like... Athletic and like, especially as we get into later in life, just remember that she is like the people she's working against, the machinery she's working against. She's just very small. So she's having this like just kind of thriving youth. But then uh, there's a turning point and kind of tragedy for her family. So her father had been going back and forth between the U.S. and Korea. And in 1937, he was in Seoul and he was captured by the Japanese police and arrested and tortured and killed oh, God. for his organizing for the resistance. And so that 
really kind of motivated her to and her siblings to help the U.S. defeat Japan in World War II. And so I just want to recognize that there's this kind of like complicated like stuff going on with like she is like her her mission at the time is very anti-Japanese. And I just want to recognize that like while all of this is going on, the U.S. is also doing like horrific internment of the Japanese community. And so like, it's complicated. Like, I don't want to just be like, we're talking about her life and it's like anti-Japanese central. So like, I just, there's like nuance here. Right. Atrocities are committed on all sides. And I just want to like acknowledge that. This is also just kind of a complex position for her to be in because the mainstream culture of the U S lumped all Asian people of Asian descent together. Right. And so she's, she's just in this weird position, um, to say it lightly. Mm -hmm. So kind of motivated by her father's work, and then after the attack on Pearl Harbor, she applies to be a U.S. Navy officer. And her application was rejected because she was, quote, oriental. Yeah. So that's kind of that, like, sweeping over, like, you guys are all the same, which is really disappointing and racist. Um, So she persists. Uh, She applies again, and she excelled at basic training. And so she was selected as a candidate for officer school. And her son explained, uh, kind of thinking about her and, like, why she reapplied. He said it was a white world, and if you wanted to do anything, you just had to forge ahead. So that's kind of like, you just keep going. That's kind of the sentiment that she had and that he saw in her. So she was accepted as part of this program called WAVE, and it stands for Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service. Um, And so the WAVE program opened many doors for women that kind of meant that, like, they could have this formerly unheard of, and this is a quote by Blake Moore, uh, formerly unheard of successes at levels of authority and responsibility that they had never enjoyed before the war. So, like, women were given all of these leadership roles. These doors were kind of opened for them. She kind of just began this career of military firsts, both for women and Asian American women, and I'll just name a few. She was the first Asian American woman lieutenant in the U.S. Navy the first Asian-American woman flight instructor to train U.S. naval pilots, and the first woman gunnery officer in all U.S. armed forces. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she's just like, okay, you want women to be in leadership roles? Here I go. So basically what this meant for Cuddy is that she taught fighter pilots how to shoot down enemy aircraft. Okay. Yeah. I know. Sure. Uh-huh. And so uh, there's this great picture of her in this amazing outfit, like 1940s outfit. It's not the point. It's not the point. No. But it's pretty amazing. But it's a good outfit. Like showing this guy who's maybe like a third of her taller than her, showing him how to use a machine gun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, let me show you. And it's kind of amazing. And I do want to point out, I felt a little mixed about doing this, like talking about this, because I think it's like, it's amazing that she did this. But I also want to recognize like my last story with Mary Fields, like who was like this kind of like gun wielding Wild West person. I feel complicated about like guns equal power especially within like kind of where we are culturally and with like coming off of the tale of like two mass shootings and of course like 
guns in the military are different than like people owning them also with mary fields like she's protecting herself in the wild west right amongst rampant racism and misogyny but i don't want to fall into that kind of non-critical or analytical rut where you're like guns are cool you know right so i feel complicated about it because i this is what she's doing is amazing and i i don't know i'm still working it out on my own and i just wanted to say that yes because i feel like i'm like i am a peaceful person who does not like shooting people i also enjoy watching john wick so like i don't know like yeah i don't know so i I hear you yeah um but anyways she that's her job is she's teaching them she's teaching these people how to shoot down airplanes and the naval men surprise surprise were often rude and disrespectful because they didn't want to obey an asian american woman Surprise, right? That said, she was kind of renowned and well-known for, like, shutting down all rudeness and is like, you are going to listen to me. And there's this kind of famous story where this male pilot, like, disobeyed her orders and, like, also said this anti-Asian slur in the middle of it. And she just kind of, like, snapped back to him and was like, down here, you will shoot when I tell you to shoot. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she's just like, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, because of, like, this environment that she was in where she had, like, she was an instructor with all these, like, kind of unruly white guys, mm-hmm. um, her children kind of talk about her parenting skills where she, like, she saw her kids and she was like, well, you're not an asshole. So, like, go do whatever you want, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> we're not handling firearms. So, like, you're fine. So oh um, her daughter describes her as she was really unusual. She'd been through so much teaching guys how to shoot. It's like, why do you what do you need to teach a kid? You know, like, go out and play. Right, so, right. <laughs> not exactly transferable skills necessarily. Yeah. So yeah. she's just like, uh, you guys are fine and alive. Go do it. And so I guess that was kind of unusual for the time. And so, like, she just kind of let her kids do their thing, um, uh, which I think is great. So she served in the Navy for five years before she switched careers, which we will talk about um, in just a second, or actually right now. So after the war, uh, she not only continued, she continued kind of like the activism of her family and also the barrier breaking of her family's legacy in many different ways after the war. So first, let's talk about how she becomes an intelligence officer and code breaker. Can we please? (laughs) She's like, guns are not enough. Now let's go to the ammunition of our minds. (laughs) Okay. Also, getting that on a t-shirt. Anyway, please first t-shirt so yeah so she becomes she moves to the east coast uh kind of virginia area and becomes an intelligence officer breaking codes for the navy and later the nsa where no big deal she ran a think tank of 300 linguists and experts gathering russian intelligence sure as you do so she's like i guess i'm just gonna run this think tank now for 300 people I didn't even know a think tank could have that many people. I know. In it. I think of them <laughs> yeah. as much smaller. Wow. Yeah. So That's incredible. It's amazing. And so actually, like, 
at this time, I saw all these references to this time and how she experienced as she rose in leadership, especially in the NSA, in intelligence, that was where she really faced a lot of, quote, disdain from many of her white male colleagues. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed in all these articles, like, all these hints of racism but nobody got into the specifics. And so I do want to mention there is that biography of her. And then also PBS had a documentary about her that I couldn't access. Um, I really tried hard to like get it, but it was like, you don't, it's not available for you. So I'm curious if you want to know more, check out that book, or if you have like the PBS passport or whatever, I think there is more of a story there and I just didn't have access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to mention that, that kind of in this bureaucratic military yeah. intelligence system people were not happy about her leadership role that said she kicked ass so while she was thriving professionally uh in virginia she met a man named frank cuddy who was a fellow navy codebreaker and nsa agent and they shared like similar interests in sports and their dedication to public service so their Story of love is also a story of overcoming barriers. You had mentioned anti-miscegenation laws, and those were in full swing at the time. So in 1947, she defied both the law and her mother (laughs) and uh, married Frank Cuddy, uh, and they had to do it. So they were living in Virginia, um, so they had to go to a federal base in Maryland and get married there. Because interracial marriage was allowed under federal law, but not in Virginia law. Oh. I'm I'm thinking actually about, like, when um, gay marriage was, like, legal in certain states, but not federally. It's kind of like the flip. The flip of that. (laughs) So, like, there were places you could go get married, but you had to, like, work around the law. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So, they did that. They had kids. They have cute photos of them sparring just like wonderful love story can you can i say very quickly i apologize but yeah uh can you imagine what their modern day engagement photo shoot would have been like like if they did engagement photo shoots like we do now for instagram like what they would have had (laughs) and they're also like yeah because i'm like they're fun yeah. They also, like, have this interesting military life and, like, right. who kn- I don't know. Who knows? I oh. love imagining that. Yeah. <laughs> Someday we could, like, recreate that if we were really good with Photoshop. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, no, we'll put up some photos. There are some really amazing photos um, from one of my sources that we will put up. I think it was the Los Angeles Public Library one. That was amazing. I fell in love with the Los Angeles Public Library doing this. They have a really let's cool website. There. Yeah. Um, let's please. Uh, so other cool things, though, is like that activism of her parents kind of like fighting, fighting sub- repression and suppression of any kind of race or ethnicity is like really ingrained in her. And so her tra- her work travels sometimes took her to the segregated South. And so when she was there, people didn't really know what to make of her appearance. They're like, are you white? Are you like, where do you work? Because you're like light skinned, you know, Mm. like. And so they were like, this doesn't compute with our segregation laws. And so every time she went there, she intentionally would sit in the back of the bus 
or like she would go to the quote colored bathrooms and her son describes this as a gesture of solidarity she wanted to make a statement about her race and supporting those that didn't have a choice because mm. i guess like her light skin kind of people were like you can right like, they, why don't yeah. you take advantage of this and like go sit with the white people and she was like no right so she just kind of like that's like a thread kind of throughout her life and this is so interesting. So after she retires from the NSA, she returns to Los Angeles uh, in 1959 to help her brother Philip, who we just need to mention right now because he's so interesting. And this is why I was like, this family is a family of, yeah. like, just interesting stuff. So her brother Philip On was the first Korean-American actor to receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Stop. So, like, we could do a whole other episode about him. I don't know anything about him. But during that time, he was famous and running this restaurant called Moongate in L.A. And so she came back and, like, helped him do that. So they're like, hello, we're two famous historical barrier-breaking people. BTW, we own a restaurant. Come hang out with us. Yeah. I I, I know. (laughs) This family. <laughs> it's great. How? So, yeah. So, like, no big deal. Her brother is this, like, Hollywood film star. I... Later in life, she oh. devotes herself towards activism, wow. supporting the Korean-American community. She speaks at, like, naval events, community events, and kind of other justice-related events. She received the American Courage Award from the Asian American Justice Center in Washington, D.C. in 2006. And she was recognized by the California State Assembly and other government bodies, as well as the South Korean government and other community organizations for her work. Um, She passed away at the age of 100 in 2015. And so just uh, her son, Flip, said that, you know, like after discovering her biography, he's read it over 10 times. Which is great. And he remembering, remembering her, he said, how do you describe a person like that who's a leader and successful at everything she does? Oh, God. So I have two ending quotes. Uh, the first one is from Sung Kim of the Los Angeles Public Library. Susan's 100-year-long life was, celebrate, was a celebration of persistence and confidence. Her pioneering life resonates strongly with the young generation of Asian Americans and with women. Her dedication to public service also speaks loudly to community leaders. And then our last quote is by the beloved Erin Blakemore. Hmm. Today she is remembered as a, as a secret keeper, a brave officer, and a community icon. One of a generation of Asian Americans who rushed to serve their community despite the racism they faced at every turn. Oh my God. What a wow. That's Susan on Cuddy. It's like, how do you fit so much accomplishment into one <laughs> I life? Know. I know. That is <laughs> and she just, just kept going. And she looks like, I was also drawn into her story because she just looks fun in every yeah. photo. <laughs> She's, like, having a great time. Oh. So she's just, like, I was just, like, I'm so fascinated by this person who yeah. is, like, wildly successful, oh a leader you do not mess with, no. but also, like, breaking all of these rules and barriers, dealing with all of this bullshit, and also, like, serving her community. 
That's incredible. Yeah. So. Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for introducing me mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. I feel so honored. Mm-hmm. That's, oh man. And we do have to start the family podcast. We'll just do a podcast on her whole family. All about family. her whole family. And that's, yeah. that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Wow. Like, I just love doing this with you. Mm-hmm. We're so lucky. Mm-hmm. And I do think, you know, this this episode really, I think, reminded me, and maybe I can speak for you, like, I realized, like, going back, we had done Asian women, but we had not done any Asian American women. And I feel like that was a blind spot, and hopefully we can get, did we? Myelin. Oh, Myelin. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. We did Myelin. No, it's um, but that's not enough. But like, that's one person. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just made me realize, like, that's a gap in my knowledge. Yep, me too. Um, And too. so I feel much more motivated, not motivated, but, like, it's just a gap that we need to continue to improve on. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, well, I don't ever want to wrap things up with you because I'm obsessed with you and I want to talk to you for 20 years, but Caitlin... Seymour's. <laughs> we have reached the part of the episode where we get to do some shout outs. Do, 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 do. Who needs to even license music when you've got <laughs> a jukebox we right have, here? Yeah. Our own musical creator. Yep. Jessica Lohafer singing all of the songs nobody asked for. That's the <laughs> memoir. Um, I want to kick off special shout outs. Please. I'm just saying it um, because so we're recording this. This won't come out. This this date won't be true when this comes out. But when we are recording right now, we are recording the day after a very special lady has uh, left us. Sadly, mm-hmm. the incredible Beverly Cleary died yesterday. Yeah. 104 years old. Uh <laughs> I was a bit of a mess as someone, especially as someone currently working in elementary school education. I was like, oh, God. Um, I don't need to tell anyone probably who Beverly Cleary is. She was an incredible children's book author. Yeah. And here I was talking about her with a friend of mine. We were commiserating. And one of the things that we both kept saying was looking at the whole trajectory of her life, all the books she wrote, yeah. like she's had an elementary school named after her. She's Whoa. had a, like a, a library award through the university of Washington's like library science program, I believe named after her. You know, she's had all cool. of these accomplishments, but I was like, you know, if I had to like put my finger, no one's asking me to, but if I had to pinpoint <laughs> like the biggest accomplishment, just looking over the arc of her life, I was like, all of the children that she made feel less alone. Yeah. yeah. Right? Oof. Yeah. Ooh, all the feels. But it's, she just created these characters that made you feel like you were seen. Yeah. She created these characters, these like rambunctious girls who yeah. couldn't be tamed and were like messy and loud and weird. And like there wasn't a morality play at the end of the story. Like, yeah. They would end, and it, they would still be messy and loud yeah. and weird. They didn't get, like, fixed. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just feel so grateful that she gave us all those books and put them all out into the world. And 
And I, whenever we lose someone like this, whenever we lose a writer in particular, and I know this always hits you and I probably harder than even other people because we both write. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, God. Um, but the other thing I think to myself is, okay, well, who's who's the who's the person becoming Beverly Cleary right now? Mm. Who's the person we don't know yet? Who's yeah. the person that's saying, I want kids to feel less alone. I can write books about that. I can reach them. Yeah. And so... That's a little bit of like help for the old old low haver heart when I'm missing <laughs> yeah. this wonderful writer. I'm like, who are you? You're out there. What yeah. stories are you writing? How do we find you? How do we support you? What are you gonna awe us with? Because there's gonna be another person, though no yeah. one will be like her, obviously. Yeah. But uh so special lady shout out to the Max Beverly yeah. Cleary. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We miss you. And if you've never read any of her books, you should check them out. Not just kids' books, novels, memoirs. You know, shit a little bit of everything. I also appreciate that I believe her first book was published when she was 33. 33. <laughs> That's a good age to get started. Uh, just saying it. Not that I'm 33, because I'm not, but I was recently. <laughs> I'd like that to be the new bar. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> no publishing until we're 33. Uh, uh, side side little mm-hmm. piece of special lady day trivia another incredibly famous uh author who didn't publish her first book until she was 33 who ursula k Le Guin. Ooh, ursula k Le Guin, and i believe it was a story i don't even think it was like a whole book so okay. it's not too late Mm-mm. get that. out there love it make make people feel less alone so i can yeah. cry about your books <laughs> it won't take much. I cry at everything. <laughs> but that is my shout out. Ms. Morris, who is your shout out today? I love it. I just watched the um, Alan versus Pharaoh documentary. Oh, yeah. On HBO. And so I am, I'm ten- I'm hesitant because like you had like this really uplifting one. And I'm like, okay. now let's make everybody yeah. feel so gross. Listen, this is feelings corner. Okay. okay. <laughs> But it was just, um, so I guess my shout out is to like Mia Farrow and Dylan Farrow for like telling their truth for years and years and years and nobody listened to them. And the thing that I found really amazing about this documentary is that like, like, ugh, it's so gross, but like. It just there, we have so many stories of powerful predatory men who, um, Uh, And, like, this kind of common theme of, like, any abusive person or any person in power is the, like, you accuse them of something that they're doing and they say it back Mm -hmm. louder. Mm -hmm. And they're they're allowed to say, like, you're being this way. You're being abusive. It's, like, what Trump does. It's what, like, it's what Hitler did. Like, not to, like, go that far, but it's, like, like, they say... You need to you need to be mad or you need to be afraid of this thing that I'm actually doing, you know, right. but like other people are doing it. And um, it was it was so use this documentary felt so useful because like it went through all these pieces of evidence and tracked the ways in which the things Woody Allen was saying were provably not true. Hmm. And then like juxtaposed hmm. with him saying like, 
they're lying about this, they're lying about this. And they're like, well, actually, like, this has been documented here, here, and here. Or, like, they have video recordings of him saying, like, I'm not taping this call. And then, like, him talking to somebody and saying, I'm taping this call. You know, like, it's just, like, really clear how they had been telling the truth for so long and nobody was listening to them. And Mm. I think it's so important when, like, survivors of abuse can have, like, this proof that they're telling the truth. Yeah. And it felt, it just felt, if anybody has ever been told, like, you're crazy, you're not telling the truth, this was, like, affirming. You are. And it just was so sad that, like, for years and years and years, nobody was believing her. And someone was telling her, like, you're crazy, you know? And the thing that was really haunting was, like, you know, like, Woody Allen's, like, kind of cute, like, accent that he has where he's, like, I'm just, like, confused all the time. Mm -hmm. When they had these, like, recorded phone calls of him kind of threatening Mia Farrow, that voice is gone. (sighs) And it is this, like, cold, calculated person. And it's just so creepy. And you can just, I don't know, it's just, like... There are so many stories of powerful people right now having accountability. And this felt, even though, like, it was really hard to watch an experience, it felt like an object of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, so, an object of accountability. That's a Yeah. Word. It was just, like, so it was, it was, like, hard to watch, but I just left having so much respect for those two women mm-hmm. and just kind of seeing how, like... Our culture is not one that supports people that, like, say your beloved person did something bad. Right. And so, anyways, yeah. it's it's worth it to watch and just listen to them. Like, listen yeah. to them tell their story. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, I guess that's my special lady shout out to those two people. Yeah. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oof. I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to. It's it's I've it's hard, reading. but it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eich. The sweet and the sad. We have it mm-hmm. all in the world, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, yeah. That's the whole gig. But you know what else is a gig? Oh, do you see this transition coming from five miles away? Yeah. Because there's no smooth transition from, like, the beautiful, <laughs> serious things you're talking about. So I'm just going to repeat my own self. <laughs> the yeah. Jessica Lohafer story. I'm just repeating myself. But do you know what else is a sweet gig? What is a sweet gig? Oh, listen. I've got a pro- I've got a proposal for you. Okay. Yeah. Now I know what you're thinking, Caitlin. You do, Jessica. Jessica, I know you love me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> Two years in. We're in love, etc. However. Okay. Did you know, Mm-mm. Caitlin C. Morris? That, in fact, I will love you forever. <gasps> Whoa, you've, like, you've really added to this now. Yep. Do you see the streamers in the background on my screen? Yeah. And the hand motions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what cheer camp was for me. And by cheer camp, I mean the one I went to when I was in elementary school for 10 seconds. And they were like, you can't touch your toes. Probably not going to be able to do splits <laughs> in the air. And I was like, you watch me not actually be able to do that at all you were absolutely (laughs) correct but just imagine i'm doing a routine right now for you there's pom-poms 
There's some team jerseys. Your animals are also in team jerseys. It's all about Caitlin. Coco, unexpectedly good at cheer. I'm Who not surprised. Knew? Who knew? Sophie, sitting it out. Sitting it out. <laughs> Less interested. Uh, my cat, mortified, because he's in a Letterman jacket, and he's not about it. Anyway, what I'm saying is that I'm going to love you forever, and that's it, all right? I'm just saying it. I'm not afraid to say it. It's out. It's on the public record, and there you go. Back at you, Jessica. Oh, my back God. Thank you. God. I really put a lot mm-hmm. on the line there, so mm-hmm. I was hoping it was going to come back. Because yeah. Every awkward. team animal cheer moment, back your way. It's all I've ever wanted, Kaylin. <laughs> all i've ever wanted oh god also social media plug cat every time i want to end it on the cheerleading animals but i can't no it's okay i can't can you plug the social media because i don't remember how to it's okay follow us on at special lady day on instagram barely on twitter um and on facebook if that's your jam and um what else Oh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, yeah, or whatever, wherever you listen, if there is a star system, we would love a rating because that helps people see us. Um, (coughs) Next thing you know, we're on Yelp. We're like, I don't know how we got on here, but people are reviewing us on Yelp. They're like, I didn't like their nachos. We're like, Right, we're like, Um, I'm upset about where you got those because I I don't know. (laughs) Um, What else? Oh, I have a story published if you oh, want to read yeah. it. Um, dun, dun, dun. Ba, ba, ba. I guess it's Big in the March song. issue of the literary magazine Ghost Parachute. And so Ghost I'm sure Parachute. that once we're not in March anymore, you can still go find yeah. it. And mm-hmm. maybe we'll put it on our socials as well. Oh, we're going to put it on our... Listen, <laughs> everybody wants to read your story. So what we're going to do is we're going to put it on the socials. We're going to link to it in the show notes. Okay. Wow. And I'm not saying I got a Skywriter, but I'm just going <laughs> to say I'm not not saying that. <laughs> so we'll just see what happens. Okay. Uh, because it's always really uncomfortable to talk about your own genius, let me just quickly say that the story is so good, it's just kind of startling and upsetting in a way at how good it is but like mm. somehow I'm still friends with Caitlin like I'm working through it it's a grieving process <laughs> of her genius but like it's fine it's fine if you're watching the crown right now she's kind of occupying a Queen Elizabeth thing what? I'm the sister <laughs> that's the dynamic I'm just kidding we can cut all of that out you're way cooler than Queen like, Elizabeth where is this going <laughs> like what's happening I'm- I think I'm, that this episode like, should be called Jessica's Metaphor Town. <laughs> Welcome. Passport for one. <laughs> Passport for one. A trip no one ever wants to take. Oh, uh, I really oh. enjoy it. Well, thank God. I'm glad I'm here on this all expenses paid, all inclusive vacation to Has Metaphor to Town. Has to be. It's the only way I can get anyone in the door. If they had to pay a dime, they'd be like, it's too much. It's too much. And I'm like, you know what else is too much? <laughs> Let me get out my book of metaphors. You're like, and then I look back and they're tsunami. gone. They're gone every time. I'm like, vowels in the word Madagascar, where are they? What happened? Where did they go? A lot of A's in that word. The point is, Caitlin's a genius. Don't listen to anything I say except for that right there. You got to go Aww, read the story. It you. is so good. 
And, and if you link to it, it says it's a one minute read. So it's really on. fast. Listen, one minute, please, mm-hmm. please. It's so good. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited and... for the moment when you become a famous novelist and you leave uh-huh. me forever. I'll no. be ready. But be ready. you know what? This like <laughs> getting published happened because you gave me a really good pep talk. Oh, <laughs> babe. So uh, you are to thank for it. So thank you. You're welcome. And mm-hmm. should I cancel the Skywriter? We'll work that out <laughs> later. It's a little expensive and I'm worried about pollution. Okay. The point is we also love you. So please be exceedingly kind to yourselves. Yeah. Uh, be safe. safe. Enjoy seeing your pals if you're all vaccinated. If not, um, we're, I'm with you. I'm waiting. So we can all just wait together. But we're close. We're close. close. Wear a mask. Hang in there. Be good to each other. (laughs) But not like from a weird ethical standpoint. Yeah, this is going off the rails. Here. Finger to your digital lips. Jessica Lohafer, I have something to tell you. What? It's kind of a big deal. Okay. I love you. All right, wrap it up. That's okay, it. We're That's done. all I need. That's it. <laughs> goodbye forever. She gave me everything I wanted. So goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>